Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wavemakers with Tom and Janet, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And running the board for us today is Mountain Man, John Dunn. Answering the phones is the lovely Irene. If you want to join our conversation, you can call us at 813-239-9663 and Irene will get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-433. 0885. As you know, WMNF would not exist without the support of you, our listeners. We will be asking for your support during our membership membership drive starting this Wednesday, October 4th through the 11th. Tom and I will be here next Tuesday asking for your support for Wavemakers. We'll have a couple of special thank you gifts to offer our listeners, including a vintage Doonesbury poster with an interesting backstory, which Tom can tell you about. So the backstory on this poster, it's uh, a, f- a poster from the Americans for Democratic Action, the other inaugural from January 21st, 1985. It's framed and it is uh, being offered as a thank you gift from a WMNF fan, uh, Chris Sherman. Uh, He is the former uh, restaurant critic for the St. Pete Times and he's a dear friend. And uh, he was given this poster many years ago by Terry Tomlin, who was the outdoors writer, the late Terry Tomlin, at uh, the St. Pete Times, and he was given the poster by his sister, Susan Sarandon, who attended the other inaugural um, and gave it to Terry, who gave it to Chris, and now we will be offering it to you as a thank you. If you donate to Wavemakers, that's next week, but you don't have to wait till next week. You can donate right now. Go to WMNF.org and look for Wavemakers in the tip jar and make a donation um, to us, your favorite show here on WNF, or just make any donation to WMNF. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be Wavemakers. Just show your support for the station. Starting today, and the uh, it starts tomorrow at 9 a.m. Um, in the studio today is our guest, Alex Harris, who's been making waves for more than a decade as co-founder and CEO of the Arts Conservatory for Teens. The nonprofit group started in Pinellas to provide before and after school programming using the arts to inspire students to achieve. ACT has a special focus on underserved kids. The program is now also in Hillsborough County. ACT has served more than 5,000 middle and high school students since it began, achieving a 100% graduation rate and 90% college placement rate. That's impressive, and welcome to Wavemakers, Alex. Thank you so much for having me here. Janet and Tom, excited to share with you this morning. Alex, you're a performing artist yourself, a talented singer with a new album coming out soon. We'll talk about that part of your life a little later. But first, tell us about ACT, the Arts Conservatory for Teens. How did that come about? Well, the Arts Conservatory for Teens, it came about um, because um, I have to give a little bit of background on my, of my story. I grew up in Georgia. Uh, a little town called Manchester, where there was very little accessibility um, to quality arts programming or anything that really um, cultivate 
the students outside of school time, um, other than your your traditional great organizations. Um, actually, we didn't even have a Boys and Girls Club where, where we live, but there are other organizations in smaller towns, and we didn't have any of that. But we developed, we being my siblings and I, developed a strong appetite uh, for the arts. My first drum set were the buckets from my backyard, and my drumsticks were the uh, pine tree branches mm-hmm. in there. I think that's uh, the essence in so many ways of, of uh, innovation or and in, in entrepreneurship as well, creating something out of nothing, right? And so we we wanted to have our own music business. We made our first, we got our first studio, and we put it in the. Um, it was Cakewalk, which would be the equivalent um, uh, to Pro Tools or Logic. And for those of you who are listening, don't know what that is. That's the um, technology that you hear music being recorded today. They use that in studios to record mm-hmm. years, years, years ago it was tape, you know. But anyway, fast forward, that became the backdrop to my interest to provide this kind of opportunity that we didn't have for other students um, as I traveled and realized that, you know, we were blessed to at least have our parents supporting us and had somewhat understanding of allowing a creative freedom. So, um when I became an adult, finished my graduate program, I wanted to develop a curriculum that really addressed this need. And I saw the gap during after school and even more so in a holistic approach to youth development using the arts as a catalyst. And so that's that's the um, the, the um, short answer. And, and where long. did you start? Where, where did the program, where was the first It started the on the south side in Midtown St. Petersburg on 22nd Street, and that which uh, many of you who are listening may not know, that's uh, a very, his, has a lot, a lot of history and is connected to a national history around the Chitlin Circuit where African Americans could not perform uh, in certain venues um, that were predominantly white, and, um, and uh, so they had what they call the, the Chitlin Circuit, and when artists would come to this area, uh, often Dizzy Gillespie, Louis Armstrong, Nina Simone, Duke Ellington, and the list goes on. James Brown, Ray Charles would hang out on 22nd Street, and so I was fascinated to be on the on the sands of greatness um, for not just our American music culture, but also our global music culture. And I thought that was a great um, starting place to start educating. Um, our younger folk um, who are interested in the arts of the rich history uh, that uh, they are living in. Many of them mm-hmm. live in that neighborhood when we started uh, the, the organization. And what exactly did that look like when you first started? It was what was the first? What were the first programs? Yeah, the first program was really focused on. Um, we had thirty teens. Uh, who were interested, and many of the teens were in uh, the uh, Pinellas County Schools Arts Programming. Um, The difference or how we were able to complement that, uh, the students were not, uh, or the parents or guardians or grandparents were not uh, in a position to support them in summer intensives, extracurricular training uh, in the areas of their interests. Those um, experiences that we know helped to cultivate and help to elevate uh, those students' uh, interest in a way, and not just interest, but their their skill set, and that they are becoming uh, that they have an opportunity to become competitive for uh, for um, scholarships or for um, auditions when it comes to uh, getting with agencies or, or different kinds of uh, opportunity as it relates to work. 
So what are you teaching them, like how to play instruments? Is it a... So, yeah, we that's a great question. We evolved from that um, to, as I alluded to earlier, to a more holistic approach to youth development, my background being in um, sociology, psychology, as well as in music, integrating all of that um, together to look at a very holistic approach um, from helping students develop a hope conscious, because I think that's the, one of the very important um things that we should create the environment to be developed. Because if you show me someone without hope, I think they're one of the most dangerous persons, as as John um, Hope Bryant says. And I think that um, we also, with that resilience, right, um, they develop confidence. And so we are teaching um, acting, dancing, cinematography, audio engineering, lighting design, uh, fashion we started uh, last year and um, in so many other we do leadership development entrepreneurship financial literacy um, we have these health and wellness clinics with um, professional clinicians who work with our um, artists for an example we do psyche drama um, which helped um, the psychosocial development of the students so it's a well-rounded um, after-school curriculum that allow the students uh, to develop in fullness um, you in, in engaging something of their interest. So interesting. So you're using the arts to draw them in, but the training you're giving them goes way beyond that. So they might take those skills and go into completely different profession altogether that they might not have even known that they were interested in or had the ability to do. Exactly. And so you 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 create the environment is what I tell our team. We we create this environment um, for this discovery to happen. And when they discover their sense of uh, through and develop a sense of worth, right? Because of their abilities and someone see them. You know, a lot of time we go through life wanting to be seen, not in a very arrogant way, is just uh, is, as a way of sense of worth, right? Who I am. And then there's an uncovery component and that uncovering uh, that gift and talent. And that's the empowerment part that allow them to not just appreciate in richness um, that we provide them through the exposure, but they also see the value that they bring the, the, the community in enriching the, the community. Uh, some of the children, though, are moving on beyond uh, that, and, and they are embracing the arts yes. as, as something to learn uh, beyond high school, mm-hmm. college, uh, as, a, as a way of life, right? Uh, exactly. Tell us about uh, some of those students. Yeah, some of the students that uh, we have two tracks. So there's a clear pathway to what, what is called the creative workforce, which is um, it pours over $900 billion into the, to the U.S. economy, according to the report by the NEA in 2019. This is something very important because sometimes uh, I think that as a greater community, we don't see the significance as it relates to our economic ecosystem, but we do. And we educate our students on the opportunities um, if they have a desire and they have the skill set to pursue. We have students on Broadway working behind the scenes on Netflix um, at Netflix corporate office in California. We have educators who are doing it as well, uh, who graduated from our program and now they're teaching dance in the educational system. Others are entrepreneurs, launched their own production companies and are doing well and have been for years now. So there are various um, uh, careers and there are others, as you said earlier, who learn the skill set and they learn how to uh, stimulate their creativity and apply it to other uh, careers uh, that are not necessarily directly related to what we call the creative workforce. And I want to mention one of them. We met um, some of the graduates of your program at an event recently yes. um, 
for ACT, a fundraiser for ACT. And one of the young men had graduated through the program, gotten into the Berkeley School of Music, ended up not going there, but getting degrees in, I think, philosophy and political science. And he is now an aide to Senator Daryl Roussan. I'm sure yes. a lot of our listeners know who that yes. is, but lovely young man who was drawn in by the arts, but went yes. in a completely different direction. And a great singer and really developed in that area. But that became the, um, I think the catalyst for him and, and understanding that discovery part I alluded to earlier and that uncovery um, uh, experience of my greatness, right? The greatness that I am and this multiple levels or layers of successes that I possess and how can I reach them? So we were the starting as he's shared and, and he often shares when he speaks about the program, how we really led him to that path. And now he's working uh, with the senator. He has aspirations and continued and plans um, to pursue um, law. Oh, great. Um, so you started in St. Pete um, 10 or so years ago. Was it just 11. you 11 years ago? And were, was it just you who, were, who was with you on that journey to yeah. start? So there were several people. The reason I consider myself as one of the co-founders, um, even though I had the vision to do it, but, you know, it takes a village to do anything. Um, and uh, I started with Herbert Murphy, um, Sheila Riley, Derek Brissett, my brother, who's an attorney and musician who, who lives here, one of my brothers, uh, Norman Harris, and and, his soul, uh, and then a, a plethora of other folks. We have a family we call the founding family. Um, but I cast a vision and we were able to launch this. Um, and the person who allowed us to do the pilot three years before officially launching was Carl Lavender. And he, had a, he has a long history and has done so much for younger people in the, in the community, including young professionals such as me. And uh, I was able to uh, really realize this vision into a mission and then, of course, the goals. And, and we've um, been very, very blessed to see the outcome. And who are the faculty? Who's actually teaching the kids? We hire teaching artists uh, in the discipline. These artists are well-educated and or experienced um, more than five, six years, most of them 10 years in the area of expertise. Um, they are very passionate about what they do. And uh, we also obviously have our own uh, orientation where we teach them our curriculum but these are teaching artists people who are doing this we want to have um, give our students this experience of uh, this up close um, experience of working with professionals and then you moved into Hillsborough. Tell me, tell us about that. When did you move and expand from Pinellas to Hillsborough? Yeah, we started uh, expanding to Hillsborough just before the the pandemic in twenty twenty. We we had a soft launch in in Ybor City at the Dream Center uh, in twenty eighteen nineteen, and we were scheduled to do our full launch that March, and everything shut down. So we pivoted, went online. We still were able to serve several students, Slide Middle School, the Thaddeus School there um, during the pandemic virtually. We we work with students at Crystal Ray um, through various workshops, and we did work with students also um, at the Dream Center virtually. But now we have the opportunity uh, since then to uh, kind of relaunch or pick up where we were uh, scheduled in 2020. And we're super excited to be over here um, at two major site, main sites um, serving Crystal Ray um, High School and also the Dream Center, Ybor City. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF, and our guest is Alex Harris. He's the co-founder of the um, Arts Conservatory for Teens, which serves um, 
uh, students in Hillsborough and Pinellas County with an arts education. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, ask Alex a question. You can call us at 813-239-9663 or send us an email to dj at wmnf.org. Wondering what do you think about arts education? Do we need more of it? Do we need less of it? How important is it in our community? Is there... Are they cutting arts? They're cutting arts programs generally in schools, aren't they? I mean, there's generally, a, a, yes, they, much less than there used to be. The, yeah, it, absolutely. Um, I think that's a great discussion because um, I think the arts, um, in many ways, um, is devalued. I think if you ask anybody, they say, "Oh, yeah, yeah, we need the arts. I like the arts. You know, we can't." But when it comes down to funding it properly or funding it at all. Um, as you said, is either cut or the budgets are extremely reduced to uh, nothing. Um, so, and then that's one thing. And the other things, the schools that do have the arts, um, there are select schools, right? So every student doesn't have that accessibility. And that's another need um, that we have been able to respond to. Um, because, I mean, the, the, the talent is amazing. And we have magnet schools, which are great. Uh, but there are what we call traditional students who sometimes are equally as talented but may not meet the criteria um, to for the magnet school. So then those students are left behind in an area where they may be able to exceed um, and be very successful contributors to our cultural, uh, economic, e- both cultural and economic ecosystems, right? And uh, I think we're missing out when we don't have that... Um, that, that environment. And we are grateful that we are able to um, play a, a role in providing that environment here in Pinellas and Hillsborough County. And any student can participate? They don't have to have a, a knowledge of a certain type of arts? or No. No, we have students who always have, they have an interest and some never thought that they would be interested. Uh, we have some that are extremely talented and just need some coaching and others just uh, need just mentorship uh, to know where to go and how to pursue. So we have a very eclectic uh, group of students, and we actually have um, an impact over 13,000 now. 13,000? Uh, yeah, wow. yeah, since, since Oh, way, way more, okay. Yeah. And the thir- 13,000 over the 11 years, the number of students, right, that was right, fantastic. Right. And you still have 100% graduation? Yes, though. all of our students, and that was very important because when students started to come to us, a lot of our students, and we can call names if, in, in, in other situations, but some of our students were on the verge of dropping out of school, not going to class. Brilliant students. Some were getting um, referred to the principal every day. It really has become a, a holistic way to create a 180 uh, trajectory for many students. Not all of our students, but there are some who really are challenged um, due to their life circumstances. And we have been able to offer an environment that really works hand in hand uh, with the school environment and their home environment to ensure that those students become successful. And how do you find these students? Well, we um, have an outreach uh, in the community, from the community centers to the uh, faith groups, uh, to uh, alliances, the public schools. I mean, we go wherever the students are and our parents and let them know of our services that we have to offer uh, the community. And there's an application process um, that the students um, come in and just understanding our policies, et cetera. And then they get scholarship in. And so those scholarships happen because of 
the generosity of our community. Well, what do you say to parents who, who are like, I don't want my kid learning the arts. They're not going to make a good living that way. What are you doing, Alex? Well, you know, I think that's, that's uh, part of what we do as well. Educate <laughs> the parents. Ed- educate the parents or the grandparents or guardian on uh, that there are various career paths. No, everyone won't be Taylor Swift or Beyonce or Jay-Z, right? Um, however, there is a plethora of folks that surround these individuals and individuals like them who are the folks under the spotlight. There are dancers, there are managers, there are directors, there are audio engineers, there are lighting designers. It's like, did you know that an audio engineer makes six figures when you're on these type tours? Did you know a lighting designer can make 75 or more dollars um, a year on these kind of jobs? They're like, oh, I, I did. yes. Did you know that you can go into and become an accountant in the entertainment industry? Um, you can be a choreographer um, for the dancers and make significant amount of money. I mean, so I think most people aren't exposed, and especially in uh, lower income communities, of the jobs that are available. And instead, the parents may say, just go down, you know, town and get something at the little shop down there. And those are needed. But, you know, if they have aspirations beyond that, then we shouldn't, you know, tell them something that doesn't exist. Well, and there are all kinds of ways to make a living in the in arts right. without being Beyonce or Jay-Z. You don't have to be a household name right. to actually make a living and buy a house and raise exactly. a family on, on that kind of income. Absolutely. And, and also there's Absolutely. a connection between learning how to read music and learning about math and science. There's a, been a big push in the last several years for STEM, right? Science, technology, engineering, and math. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Leaving out the arts. Yeah, you know, and my response to that is it is very interesting because I know people say uh, STEM, STEAM, and I say, well, music is science, right? Because we're talking about frequencies and, and vibrations and on all of that and understanding audio engineering, right? Mm-hmm. So all of that is science, that is technology. We use, there, there are majors in college called creative music technology because there is so much uh, uh, when we talk about um uh, the the uh, mixing a, mm-hmm. a record. Engineers who record records have to understand frequency. They have to understand all of these different elements uh, when you are mixing or uh, miking a drum set, right? Or the or sound in the room. Like the these sound, things yes, these on, tuning our, the on room. our walls here exactly. have to do with the sound, what the sound exactly. is like in the studio. Exactly. Just to tune a piano, you know, those guys are making $125 an hour or more. Um, depending on if they're wow. working in a union house. I remember when I produced a show at the Apollo Theater, um, and I said, well, we're doing this for a nonprofit. It was the American Heart Association uh, headquarters, and it was uh, $3,000. I was like, oh, great, for the, for the Apollo. And they said, oh, by the way, you got to have all this. At the end of the day, we had over $40,000 bill. Why? Because we had to hire all of these people who worked um, at the theater who were the engineers, the lighting designers, the stage uh, managers, the directors. I mean, one night costs $200,000. So all these people were working, and this happens every night. So you do the math. It's yeah, an economic making, impact. Yeah. Economic impact, jobs, um, and I think that's very important. And I've been sharing that also with elected officials and other uh, leaders of the import, and, and the economic um, offices, right, who look for bigger businesses to come, which we are, we are very happy to welcome. But there are a lot of small businesses that we have to look at that aren't the coffee shops, that aren't the um, boutique uh, clothing stores 
There's so many small jobs, and that's what we teach our students, how to set up their business and understand that you are a business, and you don't have to know everything about accounting and all that, as long as that you know where to go and how to oversee and how to pursue and set up. And that's very important. We're talking right now to Alex Harris. He's the co-founder of the Arts Conservatory for Teens. Um, let's listen to um, a, a little snippet of uh, a young woman that we heard perform a couple weeks ago at an event. She's a, a graduate of the program. She yes. told us a little bit of her story. I think she is in a wedding band now, so she's yes. actually a professional. Hers. She owns, she her owns company, the wedding band, yeah. so she's, yeah. she's making a living. Let's listen to a, a, a little bit of her. So that was lovely. Tell us something about her. What can you tell us about that young woman? I know you were watching her with great pride, beaming with pride you as she beaming. was performing. I was standing yes. right next to you. And you were <laughs> yes, she's absolutely amazing because she started with us as a freshman in high school and stayed with us to graduation, which happens quite frequently, which doesn't always happen with teenagers as we know, right? Right. Then we may have them for one year, a few months because they just get busy. We have been able to really um, engage the students and they stay with us. The retention is high. Um, I would say um, the last time we looked at this a couple of years ago was about a high 80% uh, percent retention rate with our teens. And that's phenomenal. Um, but um, so Sierra Amor uh, is, her, is her stage name. And um, she came to us at 13 years old and um, single, single parent home. And she had a desire and had no idea of how to go from being a great singer in her backyard or in her school play in middle school to how you pursue this. And through, and she tells the story often as well, how our organization exposed her and, and also through our mentorship element of the, of the curriculum allowed her to, uh, to learn how to launch her own business and realize that if this is what she wants to do full time, how you set yourself up to do that and how you can run your own business. She's been doing this, you know, uh, married now, has a uh, baby uh, and uh, just great to see her. Um, she went to St. Pete College as well. And uh, one of her 90% uh, uh, students going into higher education. And it's just absolutely amazing to see how far she has grown beyond high school graduation as a professional and um, doing what she absolutely enjoys um, doing. And a great example of she's not Beyonce, right. but she is making a living as an artist. Exactly. And she's going to the stores and has a car like everyone else that works. Right. She's not a star. <laughs> she's not a starving artist. <laughs> she's you know? not a starving artist. <laughs> Definitely. And so <clears throat> you mentioned that you started in South St. Pete. Yes. Um, serving underprivileged kids. Mm -hmm. Is that still the focus of the program? Are you still going to schools where the kids don't have perhaps the resources at home that the yes. other kids might have? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, our, our, our primary focus is always to provide that accessibility to create equity. Um, 
uh, for those who do not have the financial resources to, for this quality programming. However, um, one of the things that I like to always amplify is that uh, we seek to bring people together. Um, what I start to realize that we were uh, uh, contributing as a community, as a world, separatism, the haves and the have-nots, when we don't create intentionally, uh, create, I should say, opportunities and create environments that bring people together from various backgrounds. And so through the Arts Conservatory for Teens, as we know, if you're in this zone, you go to this school and you mostly, and you know, with folks who are within a, a certain um, uh, demo as you are, right, when it comes to economic status. Well, we want to make sure that everyone has uh, this opportunity to learn from each other. So we, we do reach out beyond that, um, but our scholarships obviously are for those who cannot afford um, this this kind of, but we've been really successful at bringing people together because that's where relationships, a lot of relationships start. And those are the folks that you're going to work with later. Um, if you know, you know, you get to know people, but if you don't know anyone, you don't, you know, you don't necessarily work with them. And, and a lot of times you don't know about the other opportunities and and uh, way pathways that really can contribute to your success is, is shared knowledge, shared experiences. And we like to create that environment to cultivate that, that experience and opportunity. Where does your funding come from? Our funding comes from uh, individual funders. Um, we have folks who give monthly um, from $10 to to $300 a month. We have um, corporate and businesses who give to us annually. We have uh, foundations. We also uh, receive some federal, some some state from the arts grant, the little that we do get <laughs> from the state arts grant. But um, we're looking at other ways because as I've shared that, uh, you know, we are an economic uh, driver. Uh, we, we are an incubator. We are that which trains students to become great uh, workers in the, whether it's in the arts or some other field. We teach character development. So they're learning those uh, principles as well. Um, we just try to create an environment to make not only a great performer, but a great person to cultivate and to bring that out of those students. And I think that's where uh, we are a great partner to families, to school systems, to the business community as a whole, because we are changing the future now. And if people want to participate either through funding or also, I would imagine you're often looking for artist professionals yes. to participate and work with the kids. How do they reach you? Yeah, they can reach us on all the social media um, platforms at Arts, A-R-T-S, Conservatory for Teens, and that's F-O-R, not a number, <laughs> For teens with an S dot org, arts conservatory for teens dot org, and that uh, you can email us from there is info at arts conservatory for teens dot org. And we'll make sure to mention that yes. again. Um, so tell us, Alex, what is your what's your vision for the future? We've been talking a lot about uh, you've expanded quite a bit over the past eleven years. What's next for ACT? What's next for ACT? ACT. We have a um, a three-year plan uh, that is uh, within the th three years to to launch our uh, campaign um, for a brick and mortar. Right now, we are in uh, various schools, and we continue. We're planning to continue to do that, um, and we also are in uh, various 
recreational centers and some charter schools, as I alluded to earlier. Um, but we are planning to have our own facility is number one. Number two is also to license this to other uh, communities and our headquarters remain here and uh, show how we can really change community for the better with our young people. And that's always a big question mark. What are we going to do with our young people, particularly our teens, right? And so I think we have found something that's been tried and true. We created a prototype that's been in um, in the in the in the in the garage, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, for for eleven years plus. Because um, that that's um, I say plus because we had three years prior to that as a as a pilot before we launched this phase of it. And so I think um, that's what that's what we're gearing so up for. You want a for. physical space where you can yeah yeah have. Are you gonna you want to build something? You want to yeah, buy we're something? Build, we're gonna we're gonna build it um, right now. Um, we're, we're looking at a couple of places. We're we're getting all our ducks in a row. And, um, Tampa we, or St. Pete? Uh, it'll be St. Petersburg. Saint That's what we started. And, and, and so far we've had our biggest um, support. Um, but we do want to have satellite um, also brick and mortars after that um, that we actually own as well. Because I think it's very important for nonprofits um, who do this particular kind of work to own its, um, its brick and mortar. And so that's what we're definitely open to, looking to partner with family foundations, um, corporate foundations, uh, individual philanthropists who share that same uh, division, uh, vision and passion of creating an incubator to prepare students for uh, life and careers beyond high school graduation. And how uh, were, have you already started uh, fundraising for that? It seems like a very ambitious uh, next phase. Yeah, it is a very ambitious next phase. We've been um, preparing for this in, um, for, for a couple of years now, and uh, we haven't started the official uh, fundraiser, but we have started to identify and have these conversations with uh, some individuals who um, have the wherewithal and share similar passions. Of course, it's going to take a whole lot more federal, state, county, um, to do it at the level that we want to do it because I do envision that the world would come to to this headquarters to understand what is holistic youth development. And the third part of the vision is to be the greatest, not the greatest or the largest, that too, the greatest, but the largest uh, institution that holds um, research um, information through evaluation on holistic youth development mm. for institutions that want to understand that. So we do every year um, have a third party uh, evaluator who happens to be the head of research uh, at Howard University. And if you want to know how powerful their research department is, since he's been there, they got the Pentagon $90 million contract, which was all over the news um, just of, um, earlier this year of, of that big they out. They, 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 they got it before Harvard this time. That's um, cool. and, and John Hopkins. So that was really cool. And it was under his tutelage in his department. And so he lives between here and D.C. and he oversees our evaluation has been since 2017. And so, so we are gathering He's providing that. data. That yes. So we, so this data that you see on our websites or in our presentations when you come to see us, it, it comes from his, uh, from his uh, evaluation. That's cool. Um, so I, I do want you to mention, we talked a little bit about programs, but you one thing that intrigued me that I want to hear more about, that you talked about sort of these pep rallies, that you do these kind of pep rallies uh, at yeah, the schools. Yeah, our, our, our version what? of Tony Robbins is yeah. what I call it. Yeah, tell <laughs> so, us about that. Yeah, so, it, you know, every student won't sign up to become um, uh, a dancer or to take the class at least or 
or any of the, some of the classes we offer. So I had this idea, I think it was in 2014, 15, to have what we call impact rallies, which are the equivalent to a pep rally that we do for, for the sports. But we wanted to do to create a, a new environment for um, new reference point, I should say, for students who may not have a great experience, particularly um you know, they're challenged with understanding a specific subject matter or um, maybe they've been bullied at school. They just don't have a good reference of that place. And how can we create new reference points? Number one. Number two, simply um, creating a positive environment to uh, to celebrate uh, the learning experience and to feel good school spirit, which is based on Bandura's research on how the one event can impact self-efficacy. And so as we seek to impact self-efficacy, how can we uh, create these opportunities and environment to do so? So we do this and we impact 700, 800 students at a time at each campus. And that's how our impact numbers also increases significantly. And to see and hear the testimonials and see how the walls come down between the teachers and the students or the administrators, seeing the administrator in one way, now see him or her out there on the court enjoying. And we bring in the DJs. We have our teachers. We have dancers and speaking. It's amazing. I just want to say, I just saw Anthony Blinken playing guitar at a State <laughs> Department event. Playing and pretty I, well, too, I really actually. like him now. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, Did, up in his jacket, but all of a sudden, like the music was bringing everybody together. Yeah. yeah when yeah. you were first pitching this idea, though, were you getting some pushback from the school district? Was there skepticism that you had to overcome? It, it was a little skepticism on some campuses. Um, you know, fortunately, um, we worked with the associate superintendent and the superintendent at the time, um, Dr. Grego. He was um, very open to the idea. You know, is grounded in empirical evidence of the one event in self-efficacy um, based on Bandura. So I always try to approach things um, using uh, empirical uh, evidence, um, especially when it comes to activities like this, because a lot of time people have great ideas and, and there's nothing, you know, we try to wrap the idea around something that we can support with research. It's all about execution, right, Alex? Yes, yes. We want to spend some time hearing more about your story, Alex, but um, let's um, take a break right now and hear um, something about another great program on WMNF. There's no party like a house party, and the best house party is heard right here on WMNF. The Saturday Night House Party is heard Saturdays from 8 to 10 p.m. and hosted by yours truly, DJ Sinflow. The best in old school dance music, hip-hop, soul can be heard on the house party. So tune in and let us bring the party to you, the Saturday Night House Party. All right. So... Let's talk a little, you you told us a little bit of your story, which was really just a teaser because I'm listening to you talk and I just am really super curious about your journey, how, you know, you started playing with the buckets and the the branches, the drums, <laughs> you talked about your siblings and the yeah. next thing you know, you have a studio. So I want to hear, how did you, how many kids, kids in the family, were you all musical? You said your brother is an attorney, musician. So I just want to hear that journey. How did you go from Georgia to Tampa? And I think you went to, you actually did go to Harvard, didn't you? Y yes, yeah. yeah. So tell me. Yeah, how did you go from pounding pots in the backyard to actually yeah. uh, producing <laughs> records? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So so we, um, I, I'm one of eight children uh, as five boys and three girls. And uh, our parents are educators, and our um. dad is also a pastor. So we we were very fortunate um, uh, to have uh, that growing up, and later realizing that 
that was a very great privilege and, and great fortune for us because every child didn't have um, both parents in their lives or if they did, the support that they gave us with creative freedom is what I call it. Um, and, um, you know, from creating things in the backyard and able to do that. But later we started a group, family group, gospel group that traveled all over the state of Georgia and parts of Alabama. With your parents and the kids? Yes, yes. Oh, well, nice. well, my parents didn't sing. They were the quote-unquote they were the Perringers. Parangers. Okay, the Perringers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Perringers. So, you don't all, know so a, all eight of you had could sing and play and were talented. Yes. And yes, I, yes, okay. yes. All of us still can sing. Because in my family, there were a couple that could, but you would not want me singing. Yeah. And then we attracted, <laughs> because my dad is a, a pastor of a small congregation, obviously it's in small Manchester, so it can't be too large, um, uh, that... Um, we would attract other folks who would, were musically inclined. And so from that, from a family group to starting a choir with young folks and, and we led all this ourselves. And then we started youth rallies. So this whole thing about impact rallies, nothing new to me. Um, we were doing this kind of activity in little Manchester, 2,500 population to give you a context. And um, anyway, fast forward, the brothers continued to have this really strong passion and desire after being exposed and allowed to be this creative at, at a young age. We're talking seven years old, eight till 10, 12, 13. You were seven when you started professionally. Yes, yes, yes. And Singing in first interview on television, TV wow. 33 to be what is, specific. <laughs> what, what instrument were you playing or were you singing? I was um, mostly singing. When I started, I was singing and playing the drums. That was my first instrument. Later, I learned how to play a little bit of piano and then acoustic guitar was the first because I can't take all this around and write songs. So I learned how to play acoustic guitar. So I play three instruments. Um, well, and my fourth instrument is my vocal, which is actually my first. It's hard, mm-hmm. to, it's hard to play the drums and sing at the same time also, right? Yeah, it can be. I mean, I was able to keep um, uh, tempo and later realizing, you know, my ear and my pulse was pretty much on point. I, anybody play for me, you know, I can tell just a little bit if they shift the tempo. And I think that comes from my being able to play when I was younger and uh, being very hard. And my, my, my other brother, who's one of the brothers who's younger than me, started to play so I could be out front. And then we would switch off and he would sing out front and I would get on the drums. And it was a lot of fun back then. But now he's a maestro at piano and orchestrates for orchestra and touring uh, now with Coldplay. And oh, he wow. also produces um, and plays on my records as well. Holy cow. And so you didn't get our education in this little town uh, school that you were attending. Is that right? You'd learned it all mas- mostly from home and at church? Yeah, the home school, you're absolutely right. I, I guess you read my bio somewhere. <laughs> yes, it was a homeschool um, uh, based, uh, my parents and, uh, started and uh, we all graduated from it. We didn't go to public school. My three of the older uh, uh, siblings started in public school. But they graduated from our homeschool. But from my sister down to the youngest, I'm in the middle, um, the fourth child down to the uh, to the eighth child. We didn't um, we didn't uh, go to a public school. And then where did you go after when you graduated? Lagrange College, uh, which is a liberal arts uh, college, it was a top ten at the time. I think think it still is. Um, in in the state of Georgia, in the southeast actually, mm-hmm. and uh, among liberal arts colleges. And uh, so we all went there and graduated. You all uh, went to the same college? Yeah, some of us were there at the same time. <laughs> well, our parents were pretty strict about, we want you all closer to home, but, you know, they got <laughs> over it later, obviously, because I ended up in Boston, Massachusetts, and our oldest brother really helped to break that mode. 
um, when he went to Yale uh, in Connecticut. And then, That's cool. So your parents were, were down with that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That was his dream school. <laughs> well, family, a family a of educators kid. then, really. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. We um, different different uh, disciplines. Uh, we have my sisters, um, and we let's say I think it's six of us have terminal degrees. And those of you who don't know that is that is some doctoral degree. Um, at least once, I think all of my brothers have a PhD has two or a law degree. <laughs> Yes, a law degree educate. My mother went decided to go back and to get her doctoral degree, and she made a promise to herself after my sister graduated from uh, uh, high school. And so uh, I told her when actually we were in our doctoral program at the same time, and I called her and said, "I'm go- I think I'm going to go start my doctoral degree." And I did whatever the test that we had to do in an application, and she's and I said, "You should jo- you know get in this program too." And so. Um, she said, okay, and she got in, and she actually ended up graduating before me. She oh, said, I'm trying funny. to wait on you. <laughs> so I said, don't wait on me. I have two masters. I'm you not st- trying to What did that. you study at LaGrange? Um, I studied sociology, human services, and psychology. And then I, that well, that's my degree, but I also studied three years of classical vocals. I didn't get a degree in it, but I studied it for that, for classical vocals. And then, and then a graduate, you went to graduate school? Yes, I went to graduate school, Boston University and Harvard. I did um, two masters from Boston University, a master's in uh, theolo- theological studies and a master's in social work. And then I did extended studies at Harvard in adolescent counseling. And my doctoral degree is in organizational leadership with a minor in curriculum. Okay. And, and that's a, that's an earned doctoral degree because a lot of people get honorary and I and yeah. I like that, but I like for people to know that that's 150 pages of writing. <laughs> <laughs> and and two in a long chapter 2 of research. So I I appreciate uh the folks and celebrate the folks who get honorary doctoral degrees, but And how did you end up it. in the the Bay Area, the Tampa Bay Area? I um end up here because of actually my brother um, uh, my brother is um, attorney, and he had gone to school with a with a gentleman who um, wanted to start his own law firm. And so, uh, long, long, long story short, he said, um, I, "I was doing some consulting down in uh, South Florida, in the Fort Lauderdale area, working with several colleges and universities and the Broward County School." Um, so they almost got me before St. Pete. But anyway, um, the, the, um, you're skipping over a lot of the story. Um, he said, come here to St. Petersburg. I'm, I'm sorry, to Tampa. And um, I came to Tampa, and then I ended up in St. Petersburg because um, I was introduced to, to Carl Lavender and launched our, our program over there. And who's Carl Lavender? I don't know that he name. He was the former president um, for the Boys and Girls Club, originally from Chicago, and came here um, uh, prior to that, and then um, of, of the Suncoast. Okay. Boys, and Girls, Boys and Girls Club of the Sun Coast, and he had an you know he loved the arts and all that, and they were his claim to fame is in the organization is that he convinced headquarters to create the first ever out of four thousand clubs fully arts a um, full arts programming at the historic Royal Theater on Twenty Second Street. That's where we piloted Act, and um, or the Arts Conservatory for Teens and. And so then he became, he retired, and then he became the um, uh, the chief equity officer for the Foundation for Healthy St. Pete and recently retired from that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so let's take a minute, and you have an album coming out, correct? Yes, I have an album coming out, and the title is going to be Red Clay. Okay. Go figure. Okay. Georgia. <laughs> and uh, and uh, the single um, that's done really well, the top 40 for more than uh, for more than. Uh, six weeks now 
on in the top 40 on the number one uh, R&B soul chart in USA Today and all North America, uh, which is in USA Today, is Lose My Religion featuring the monophonics from San Francisco, which is a, a funkadelic. Uh, Let's hear a little bit yeah. of that. Sounds wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. So how did you get to that point? I think we might have skipped ahead a little bit uh, in your story. We can, I, we can go back. Yeah, we let's go rewind. back to, <laughs> you know, you got your education, but you're also a singer. So did you tour professionally? What was your... Uh, yeah, I, I did um, tour with my brothers professionally all throughout North America. I think the last time I counted, we had been in over... Um, 35, 36 states, and, and also in Canada as well, and um, international in various places, um, the islands, etc. And so uh, that really exposed me t- uh, to the world of um, opportunity. And um, I signed, I was signed to um, Sony through Orchard. And then my, my this particular record is on Sonicky. It sounds like Sonic. It looks like Sonicky, but it's Sonicky. S H A. Um, the reason with the H is silent. Where are they based? They're out of um, New Jersey and New York okay. as well. And so um, been in. And this is a boutique uh, major label. Um, and uh, they've been around over 40-something years. And Richard Navis has been in the industry for a long time as well. But I had a chance to work with one of my brothers, David. Um, uh, he goes by Arceus, our swag in the industry. He's a he's a Grammy and an Emmy Award winning producer. And also um, the guy who co-wrote this with me out of Nashville is Shannon Sanders. He's a multi-Grammy award winning uh, producer and songwriter. You know his works with NDRE and so many other people. In fact, he was the preacher in the Elvis movie. Ah. And so uh, he co-wrote this with me and that we driving around scene. Nashville. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> driving around Nashville sets the tone for the whole, whole yeah. movie. Um, in, in writing this song, Lose My Religion, which was really uh, paying homage to both of our Southern roots and experiences because you hear people say that all the time growing up. Boy, you're going to make me lose my religion. You better do right. So it was, it was done in a very, um, we, we took that, that, that colloquial expression of passion, right, um, to, to another area of passion around love and talk about, because losing my religion is really about off kilter, right? You're going to make me do something that mm-hmm. I don't usually do. So this was, the song was written in a very positive way about love. Like I meet someone and like everything that I thought that I may not do or maybe even have any thoughts about it, I end up doing it because the, the love and the passion is so strong. And so that's what that, so it's a really, really cool, fun song as well for me because it's re- reminiscent of growing up <laughs> in mm-hmm. the South and here and our, you know, the, the, the adults talk about that. So it's a really fun song, but that sets the tone for the whole um, LP is going to be 12 songs in which uh, the, the 12 include, uh, includes Lose My Religion as well. So wow. super excited. It was recorded in Nashville um, this summer, and uh, it comes out at the top of the year. So stay tuned. We'll hopefully have some listening parties around here uh, when it comes out. And uh, 
we we're, we're, we're expecting really great things for the, for the record. Yes, yeah, so where can uh, people, first of all, hear you live? Well, we're, we're in conversation to do uh, a live show um, with a couple of the artists um, J- January the 13th, um, MLK's weekend at the Palladium. Okay. be a night of soul. Uh, and uh, we'll bring a couple of guests, one Jay Brown, um, who's been here before. He's out of uh, New York. Okay, I'm going to mark my calendar yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then the next time you're here from me will be in this area will be in May because, uh, you know, we under contract you can't perform, you know, within a certain mile radius, within a specific certain time. But I am always at our act socials <laughs> on private events doing uh, performances, you know, with acoustic guitar support. But um, my my next two major public performances are uh, January and May at the fest at the Uptown Festival in May. Well, I guess you're also uh, kind of a role model to all of your students who, who can look at you and say, "Look, he can do it. He can you, yes. you can you can do this." Yes, and I hope to also not only inspiration to the students but also to other artists saying that you can give along the way. Um, and and one of my mentors, um, uh, Craig Shear, shared that with me, and I never forgot. That say, "Give along the way." And um, and that's something that I, I um, hold dear to my heart and com- have committed to memory and to encourage other artists that it's not just um, about you and what you you know enjoy doing for people as it relates to performing, but what what else can your gifts and talents um, really impact someone's life for the better? And so. Um, hope that through our licensing opportunity, <laughs> artists will start to do that. Some of some of the majors, especially who have foundations, who don't really do anything in the arts. Mm-hmm. You know, they do support some 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 charities, but that's not necessarily what changed their life. Um, it's the music that did, and so we hope that many of the um, singers and actors start to look at what we've done and start to license this. They don't have to create anything; it's already created for them. And it's also mentors that is that have. Help yes, kids, right? Yes, it's, it's, it's people who can just spend time with them. Yes, yes. So it, yeah, a lot of people say, "How can I get involved?" and "What can I do?" Well, there are a lot of opportunity. We have professional judges, uh, dentists, and they come and share the story. We want we call them our master classes or the masters, and they come and share their story. And the students have an opportunity. We have Frank Marsani a few years ago to come and shared his story. And he's, students start to see the the the, the correlation between um, his story and their story. You know, he tells how he was born in a in a in a two bedroom house, and they all live kids lived in one room, and he was the oldest, and how he had to work his way up. There was a lot of students who can relate to that, right? Um, there were other folks um, like uh, the dentist who came and spoke um, to our students. We had um, bankers. We've had so many great folks in our community who are um, names we may recognize, and others we may not. So as long as you have a story to tell, which everyone has a story to tell, and to share, it inspires. Mentorship doesn't always mean someone that has to sit with someone every week. It can just be one experience, going back to the Bandura's research, that impacts that that person's life. In our final seconds, tell our listeners how they can uh, reach out to you. Yes, you can reach out to uh, me at artsconservatoryforteens.org and there's a number there and an email that you can reach us directly. Excellent. Alex Harris, thanks for being with us. You're an inspiration. Thank you. This is WMNF Tampa. Up next is Alternative Radio followed by Harrison Nash. (laughs) 